Support for this podcast comes from JCPenney. This holiday, our in-person gatherings may be a bit more intimate, and our virtual ones bigger than ever. But no matter how traditions change, what's most important is celebrating special moments with the people who matter most. JCPenney has all the best gifts all in one place, making it easy to send your warmest season's greetings to loved ones near and far. Looking for the perfect gifts for everyone on your list? We'll be back soon with some of our top gift picks. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am doing yet another episode at the University of Cincinnati. Been real Cincinnati heavy on the on the Here We Are podcast lately. Packed a lot in my small trip, and I'm here talking with Assistant Professor of Marketing Tony Salerno is joining me today. Tony, thank you for joining me and being on the show. Thanks for having me, Shane. This is really exciting. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super pumped. You sent me a few things to look into. I was really interested in all of it. There was, I was like reading them at lunch before coming over. And there was a last thing that was like some audio thing. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't realize this. I didn't get a chance to listen because I didn't want to like play it at the Belgian waffle place that I was that I was at. So, but other than that, I did my little bit of research and read all the other articles and this is all stuff that's way in my wheelhouse, way in the way in the listeners wheelhouse. Why don't you give people a little bit of a of a, a, a back your background and um the sorts of things you study? Sure. So, um I'm in uh within marketing kind of like the sub field, you could say, of uh, consumer psychology. So just kind of figuring out the psychology behind why we do the things that we do. And with my research in particular, um, for the most part, what I look at is how our emotions and just different environmental factors, how these sort of uh, two different forces influence our decision making. And I will usually look at some kind of decision or behavior that relates to self-control. So things like, you know, do we save our money or spend it or go for the uh, indulgent chocolate cake versus the salad, these sorts of things. So. Yeah. Well, this is terrific. And this is part of the reason why I'm so excited because self-control, one of my absolute favorite things to talk about, one of my least favorite <laughs> things to exercise. Right. So it, it's, yeah, yeah. it's always fascinating to me. I have I'm sure lots of people do, and maybe I'm too hard on myself, but I have a myriad of self-control issues, and, <laughs> and I also have an occupation that that is requires lots of self-control and yeah, I, yeah. I don't like have a boss or accountability in in the way that a lot of people do and so uh, it's it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about. <laughs> How did you get interested in the subject? Um, so my, I, my my path here was very sort of random and you know so i i i was saying before i went to school uh, at the university of miami for uh, my undergrad and um originally you know, I, I double majored in communications and psychology and and i was always really interested in psychology i i worked in a lab that was this is going to sound so different from what i do now but like it was focused on um 
emotion regulation and, and a focus on emotion regulation strategies for those who have social anxiety and, and depression. Um, oh man, even yeah. more reasons why I need to talk uh, to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, so different from, from what I do now, but like, I mean, um, so I, I, as an undergrad, I thought I was going to go into some clinical psychology grad program. Hmm. And, uh, what actually happened was my last year, uh, you know, senior year in undergrad, I took a consumer behavior class and that just wound up kind of changing my trajectory entirely. Cause I, I was, you know, taking this class and, and thinking, you know, this is just psychology and wound up meeting with the professor of the class during office hours and just asked, you know, what, what is this consumer behavior thing? And he kind of told me about the degree and, and, you know, that Miami was actually starting a program in this, uh, around the time I was graduating. And, you know, at the time this was the beginning of the last semester, I just said, Oh, okay, that's interesting. And didn't really kind of revisit that until the very end of the year. Um, when that same professor asked, you know, do you have plans post-graduation? And the time I graduated undergrad was 2009. So like all the recession stuff, there was still fallout with that. And I really had nothing kind of lined up at that time. And he was like, do you want to, you know, apply to the marketing consumer behavior program? I was like, sure. So, you know, studied for the GMAT in like nine days over spring break and <laughs> applied and wound up going into the program. And that professor wound up being my advisor throughout it. So, um, yeah, very, very kind of, uh, I guess, untraditional path that kind of wound me, led me to to this field but yeah yeah that's that's cool i mean here i am a stand-up comedian doing a, a science podcast life takes a lot of odd unexpected turns i know it's so funny because when you um contacted me um i just thought it was so interesting that you know you are this comedian who has uh an interest in in psychedelics as well and and you know some of the the views there, I, you know, agree with, and, and it's just sort of interesting to see your interest. The in, way to pander to my audience, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and how you have this interest in research, and then it's almost like I'm doing the, the opposite, where I have an interest in, in comedy, and, you know, and it's, it's, it was it was really interesting to see, so. Um, um, yeah, well, awesome. This is, this is, uh, I think we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> One thing that I was found interesting and was reflecting on um before coming here was some of your work with with pride and its influence on self-control i have had so many experiences with this as i have had wildly fluctuating pride and self-esteem you know um uh, changes yeah. um, throughout my my career and and I was so I was really reflecting on the influence it's had on my work but what what is uh, what are your findings what are, what did you study there sure so um, this this paper was one of the kind of essays in my dissertation and the motivation behind it was um, you know around the time when we started working on this there uh, had, had been some prior research looking at the effect of pride on our self-control. And, you know, you've got one bundle of 
papers, findings that say, you know, pride helps us with our self-control. And then, you know, there's another set of findings that basically show the exact opposite, you know, that it kind of can license us to feel like we're able to indulge, you know, kind of take our foot off the pedal. Mm -hmm. And so with that as kind of the background, we, we started to wonder, well, you know, uh, given these discrepant findings, there's got to be something that determines when it's, you know, outcome A versus outcome B. And and so we kind of investigated what factors might help us better understand when pride can help us with self-control and when it can hinder it. Hmm. So I guess I'll kind of share some of my own personal experiences with pride and then maybe you can tell me some of your findings and maybe they'll they'll parallel my little anecdotal uh experience maybe not so i've i've had uh a lot of i had so like 11 years ago in the in the distant distant past so i started i i was very much like i i was just like i'm going to work hard and get better and I did I worked very hard and I got better and I just cared about like I just want to get better on stage I wasn't invested in like catching this or that kind of break or whatever and then from all of that hard work without really looking for them that much I did I caught all sorts of breaks Mm -hmm. and then about 11 years ago there was a period of time when uh Oh, this was so very long ago when I was like really kind of blowing up and catching some breaks and things were looking like they were exceptionally taking off for me. And now in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I really took my foot off the pedal at that time, (laughs) took a lot for granted. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to be this huge like uh, comedian, like household name. And I started celebrating a little too early. And uh, and then. uh, yeah, drank away several years, um, taking for granted <laughs> the little success that like a few years of hard work that had e- it yielded me. And then I had to start all over. So um, so that's one thing that's that happened to me that like I thought about when I was reading um, the article that you sent me. But what kinds of things are you studying? Uh, okay. So first off, I don't know how much you could kind of say, I I would consider pretty successful. You know, you've got like a pretty good podcast. uh, Come on. That's not at all what I was. You're on Conan five times. Like, come on. I wasn't fishing (laughs) for her. I'll give it anyways. I'll give it anyways. But, um, I mean, it's, I'm like snickering as, as you're, you're saying this because it, it feels like it matches up almost perfectly with what we find. Okay. So like, Here's our findings. Um, uh, absent of any other sort of, uh, let's, you know, you kind of, if you just focus on the experience of pride in and of itself, what we found is that it actually helped people continue to exert self-control. And the reason why we found that occurs is because if you think about pride, it's always accompanied by some personal accomplishment, usually of, of some importance, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so when people just kind of focus on the emotional part of it almost, it, it kind of leads people to focus on what that means about themselves as an individual. And so thinking about it from, from that lens, you know, if I'm, if I'm feeling proud of myself for this accomplishment, I might make this inference that I'm a disciplined person. And because of that self-inference, of being a disciplined individual, 
it actually helps people act in ways that are consistent with that self-image. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So that's that's kind of like the the. This is I I remember um, I'm forgetting the person's name I had on stand up science. Um, shoot, one of Kathleen Voss's friends. Um, but she was talking about um the marshmallow test, and if you have little kids, imagine that they're Batman. <laughs> They do better with self control and the marshmallow test. Like, yeah. I'm Batman right yeah. now, and Batman wouldn't, wouldn't, would wait and get the second marshmallow and he would resist temptation. I think that's a really cool way of, of, um, you know, de- that's, that's basically like another way of looking at that finding. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, so if, we still have that experience of pride, but it's mm. experienced in a way that we're thinking about our goals. Now, all of a sudden, that prideful experience is almost used as a misattribution of our progress towards whatever goal we were thinking of. And so in your case, that goal would be career-related goals. Mm -hmm. So all of these things you're thinking about, you know, um, how am I doing as a stand-up comedian? You know, am I progressing? Am I I doing well? When when that career-related goal is very salient and then you have some success and experience pride, now that sense of accomplishment is being used as an indicator of significant goal progress at whatever goal you were thinking of. And because of that inference of goal progress, now all of a sudden people feel like they're licensed to take their foot off the pedal. Hmm. There's this really well-known psychologist, um, Chuck Carver uh, at the University of Miami. And, and it's not quite the same, but but um, there there are some similarities where this idea that when we when we feel good about our goals, we kind of just, he, he, he calls it coasting. We just sort of dial it back a little bit mm-hmm. and in a way that's that's kind of what we find so it depends on if our goals are really salient or not when we're experiencing pride mm-hmm. that kind of determines when we exhibit self-control or not so kind of going back to your example if if you could kind of take those um accomplishments and those feelings of pride in stride without sort of uh channeling in into into like the meaning of it for your career goal and just kind of keep on plugging away. Yeah. You know, that might be one way of sort of staying the course, so to speak. Yeah. Well, fortunately I have now had the rug pulled out from under me so many times in my career (laughs) that I never take any little bit of success for granted. Uh, So, so it keeps it, it keeps me with my foot on the pedal a little bit, but I, I mean, so much of this, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, how how much of this has to do with the the brain's just natural inclination toward preferring inactivity like when it when it can rest i mean i just think of the the kind of stories that i often tell myself in a rewarding manner like you need a break or like you sh- you should rest right now so you don't get burnt out well i don't think Maybe I was never in danger of being burnt out in the first place. And that's just a story I'm telling myself. Sometimes I'm like, oh, if I relax a little bit, maybe I'll be more creative. And it seems like I'm always just kind of trying to create this narrative where the end result is me sitting around and not doing a whole lot. It's a 
it's a really tricky balance to um to to attain for all of us where you were you were describing just a second ago this in terms of a proclivity towards you know being inactive but i would almost look at it a little bit differently and and say we're we're sort of um, predisposed to balance where it's, it's not that we're, we're always wanting to be in a rest state. It's just that, you know, when we all have goals and we're all obviously trying to pursue and attain these goals, but a lot of times that pursuit requires a lot of resources, you know, a lot of self-control. And for, for most people, that's really tricky to sustain over long periods of time. And so, you know, some, some, uh, instances where you kind of dial it back a little bit, I would say, you know, that's not just people being, you know, naturally inactive, but there's some sort of adaptive, this adaptiveness there to be able to, you know, take a breather. And then after that period of time, be able to kind of get back on, on the horse. But, mm. um, it's a, it's really tricky because we can also, uh, play games with ourselves and, and sort of rationalize the resting period, you know, and how long is that, you know, and, and, and yeah. before you know it, you, you, you do kind of maybe rest a little bit too long. Um, yeah, consciousness can be like really, cause a, lot of, a lot of times much of consciousness is just kind of the story you're telling yourself about why. Oh, absolutely. Impulse, like this, uh, and, and usually like a, a very like dramatized heroic um uh kind of egocentric um <laughs> version of of uh, like like the the amazing stories that i can weave about uh, about like I, I i was once like recently i was like oh i'm exploring laziness right now <laughs> like i'm exploring the quality i got to remember the, that that's awesome experience <laughs> of, of laziness like really getting into it so but i can how like, do tell i really know what it... <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> I, I know but it is like what is um i don't know is it, it, maybe some some people put on a really good face and like what's going on underneath is everyone's having this 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 same sort of struggle because sometimes I see people and I'm like how in the world are you doing this they seem like a really balanced person but I think there's a lot of that yeah, yeah there's I, a lot I, of hiding I, of the especially now with social media I mean there's there there's a fair amount of research at this point where um you know making these associations between you know, viewing amount of time viewing social media and then people's kind of subjective well-being. And it's just, you know, kind of kind of tanks the more. Yeah, that. yeah. And I think it's kind of speaks to that where a lot of people are just putting their best foot forward, you know, with whatever aspect of life they're talking about. Right. And, and, and whereas I'm a comedian and we're like basically paid to put our worst foot forward and then make fun of that bad foot in front of people for money. And it's like this exhibitionist kind of like mining all of our insecurities and, and failures um, for for a profit right right and so so i might i i might be um being overly um open about about some of these negative things that that the rest of the population um masks a little bit to you know go into their uh cubicle without bumming out everybody else yeah so can i ask something about that like yeah yeah is do you do you kind of subscribe to that 
belief with comedians where you know the sad clown thing yeah yeah not really i i I mean i mean i do and i don't i i think that there's plenty of i i think really um damaged um people with these like crazy kind of unfortunate backstories um tend to get promoted and moved up to the ranks because it's so novel and interesting Mm -hmm. Uh, i wouldn't say like starting from baseline you take a hundred people that are first starting at an open mic i wouldn't say that those hundred people are any more screwed up than the rest of the population but but the the crazy seems to rise to the top of of comedy in many ways and because there are a lot of very well balanced people in comedy they're just not that funny and and uh or they don't get rewarded for it. and there are there are people that are balanced and successful and funny and all of the things but. yeah i was i was wondering about that because i was just um listening to this uh interview with letterman and you know jerry seinfeld was his guest and he mm-hmm. talked about that and like jerry seinfeld is someone who like completely does not subscribe to that at all yeah i, I mean but, i it wouldn't surprise me if he had some real dark skeletons in there one of which being that he was, you know, kind of with a young underage well, well, that's woman what I, that he I eventually mean, married, and like you know, my of... wife and I were wondering about that too as we were watching because it's like he's 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 describing that well that he's he's voicing that opinion, and at the same time he was talking about how I think both of his parents are orphans, and it's like yeah, he's got some stuff that's, going that's on. Gotta, I, that's gotta that's gotta affect like you. Maybe he doesn't, but uh, it wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's some weird serial killer. Um, <laughs> but the the point is, I, I think it's more of a, a feedback sort of thing. So, so I'm a comedian. Maybe I have some happy, fun, silly jokes or whatever, and and you know, maybe that's doing okay and getting some laughs for me. Mm-hmm. One day I have a really bad day. I get on stage to blow off some steam, and it's really genuine and authentic, and people don't get to hear this vulnerability, and this sort of, and it resonates with people on a on a on a level because it's it's kind of scarce, and they're not used to hearing that perspective, and uh, and it's kind of cathartic in many ways, and then that gets rewarded. People laugh, and and they they're like, "That was great that you said that afterward," and that. And because that gets rewarded, it becomes this feedback loop that then you're like, oh, what else is wrong with me that I can, that I, it's a very exhibitionist kind of, uh, um, and it's it's something that I have to be mindful of and think, think about quite a bit to make sure that I don't just, um, write myself off of this as this insufferably flawed, um, lunatic, you know, and it becoming some self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That makes because sense. of that but but i um the 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 point um i was going to make about uh, that was that i think that even so so the people that i think of that are like they have this really balanced life they do they're really good at the self-control stuff and it seems like they're good at taking breaks and exercising and like having a social life and doing the things and it, it really i i think of people like this like uh I'm not even going to name names, but, uh, but the, the point is, is, is that it's almost like they're scheduled so much that rest almost requires self-control is what like, okay, I should meditate because that's, that's going to be this restful period. That's going to rejuvenate me. But then once you start scheduling meditation, and now that becomes a part of a thing that now you're taking pride in the, oh, I just meditated 
20 days in a row and now you're like oh maybe i can skip a couple days of meditation or yoga or what what have, is this an un- inescapable thing what what can people <laughs> do you know what i'm getting at yeah so i think i feel like with that example in in, in particular one way you might be able to kind of decrease the likelihood of 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 that happening is to as best you can try and make it part of a routine and like a habit mm-hmm. and at least based on my research by doing that it's kind of more likely to be ingrained as part of your self concept you know like you know these people that say they're yogis you know in that particular case you know not quite meditation but they routinely will do yoga and you know wouldn't really think about skipping their yoga exercise because it's just part of who they are Mm -hmm. now kind of getting to that point where it is part of your daily routine that's kind of like another story and another challenge but you know trying to uh get it to that point where it's it's just a, a you know daily or weekly whatever it is the time frame but just a habit um would be a way to kind of minimize that because to a certain extent, once it's a habit, like a good habit, you're not really thinking about right. it as much. So that, that could be one way to, to do that. Mm. Yeah. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. Yeah, I've been thinking about that quite a bit lately of just trying to build myself into the automaton that I <laughs> that I that I want to be. <laughs> well, and it's like I mean, this isn't quite what you were getting at, but it made me think of something I potentially related to this where you were saying before it's like we have these goals and then we try to set aside some time for ourselves to relax or to en- enjoy things and the example you gave was meditation. And I don't know if I'm in the minority here. I probably am. But I feel like I've gotten better at this over the years. But where, you, it, when you schedule like a break or you schedule a period that's supposed to be for enjoyment, it's almost by by labeling it that it yeah. makes it kind of like you become you start to feel more pressure to like make the most use of enjoyment out of whatever it is this thing that we're doing yeah yeah um, I, I mean this is um i talked with uh oh jeez, my friends why am i forgetting their name celine malcoach and um and um uh, uh joe um uh, i'm forgetting his last name all of a sudden sorry joe he's probably listening right now we're friends we're, um they're in columbus right now okay um they're out of st louis but they do a lot of stuff of uh with 
um, in, getting, in, in, get, getting the most out of like vacations and, and um, uh, active versus, versus passive leisure and that sort of thing. And, and a lot of findings regarding when you really like hyper schedule out your vacation time and like we're going to be here at one, here at three, dinner at this place, blah, blah, blah. It turns vacation into work. Yep, and I, I guess that's kind of where I, sort of where I was going with a lot of this. Yeah, is if you're, how do you create balance? <laughs> like I, okay, I want to work a lot and be productive, but I want balance. Therefore, I need rest, relaxation, social life. Like my social life is something that used to come naturally. I'm like, oh, I want to go out and spend time with people. The older I get, the more I'm like. I should go and spend time with people right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <And laughs> this it, is getting bad. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's more, it's not necessarily that I want to. It's it's that uh, just like going to the gym or something like that. I better go out and talk with the outside world. Yeah, this a seems like bit. a 30s thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've noticed that more and more too, but... How old are you? Um, I'm 32. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I'm 39. Okay. Yeah, so okay, uh, okay. Um, but but so yeah, yeah those guys are great. Yeah. So, I I guess I guess you just need to um work through just those beginning stages of of building it as a as a habit. And I also feel like people have to choose their battles with that too yeah like where that's that's i think another part that makes that really difficult where you know people have all these goals and like new year's resolutions you try to you try to like just change everything all at once and that's why these resolutions fail within i think it's like a month and a half is the average it's because a lot of it is you're 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 doing so much trying Mm. to do so much all at once and it's like you know pick one thing and let's see if we can get some momentum on this one thing. Mm-hmm. And then from there kind of see what, you know, what else you can do. Hmm. I think we're all guilty of that though, for sure. Hmm. So do you have any, yeah, I mean, this is, this is now becoming maybe a little more philosophical than, than, <laughs> than, than, than what your actual research is. I uh, dig it. Yeah. Is there a way in which people can, a way in which people can approach their their work life in and still seek goals and reward themselves at the end because i guess this is my other question another thing i've been doing lately was i've been i've been writing a list of accomplishments each day because i I have some self-esteem issues i can be really hard on myself i tend to like look at my failures and 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 that's like what I think about at the end of the night, and then I wake up thinking about how uh, all the failures from yesterday and blah blah blah. So I've been trying to turn that around by writing like a list of accomplishments, mm-hmm. like I did this and this and this, and here's what I'm grateful for today. And it's been turning that around a little bit. But then I was thinking about your work, and I'm like, oh, is this gonna backfire <laughs> on me eventually? Where I'm like, oh, I did all of these things, <laughs> and, and so th- is this like another way in which? I'm, Damn it, Tony! You led me astray. Uh, well, you did. You may have ruined my life a little bit. But um, <laughs> but is this another way in which like we can potentially kid ourselves into as, as I'm going like, well, I I went out with 
with friends and I answered a couple emails and went to the the gym today and did a podcast. And so today was a success, even though I could have made much more of the day than I did. And reflecting on that can also be beneficial and I can learn from that and maybe make the next day um, get get more out of it than I than I did in that day how 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 do you know like is there a way to at least know like some kind of safe range to be in and the extremes of when this is definitely what you should not do uh in terms of like being too prideful and this is what you shouldn't do in terms of like being too self-loathing or hurt uh, hard on yourself or whatever well okay so there's a lot there uh and i mean like one at least as it relates to my research i think one kind of factor that could help rein some of this in is um (laughs) the 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 type of pride we were looking at is what's known as incidental pride or incidental emotions and all that means is if i experience one emotion and it influences some decision or behavior that's unrelated to the source of the emotion, that's considered an incidental emotion or effect of an incidental emotion. And so it's almost like our emotions can influence our behavior without our, without being conscious Mm -hmm. and and aware that it's having an effect. And so we find that, um, well, one, one, uh, there's one, one, uh, paper that actually shows when you make people aware of the pride itself and its experience, people almost by being more aware of it, discount it for being used to influence any kind of behavior. It's like by, be- by simply being aware of the fact that pride can have this influence mm-hmm. on our self-control it's a way to kind of wash out that influence mm-hmm. so in a way it's just to kind of again like rein in the influence it can have potentially being detrimental and like lowering our self-control just by being aware of the fact that yeah i'm experiencing pride and and um i want to be mindful of what what behavior i'm engaging in right now that that can kind of help uh downplay its influence so it's kind of like an awareness issue uh, to a certain extent. So just being kind of mindful and mm-hmm. and, and um, knowledgeable of about how you're feeling. Listening the- to podcasts about such things, that sort of stuff. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. Um, so how... Which, if I can just quickly interject as an yeah, aside. You can it's interject like, all you want to. I One of the things I think is so cool about this podcast <laughs> is... On, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm serious. It's like a lot of um, a lot of colleagues, at least the ones I've spoken to, almost it's like kind of this running joke where people will um, not look forward to speaking to like media because so often it's like you're on a call with them for less than 10 minutes, like literally less than 10 minutes. And they're trying to get this stupid sound. Oh and it doesn't matter. God. It doesn't matter what you're, yeah, it doesn't matter what your findings are, how many times you correct <sighs> them. Inevitably they're going to go with it is whatever so it is ridiculous. that they want to go with. And so a lot of times, you know, academics will just say, screw it. You know, um, it, it's just not worth the, 
the aggravation and you know to kind of have a long format for for kind of yeah. talking about this stuff in more than just a soundbite i think is is really cool yeah and there's no. not a lot of it i mean there. i am a dream to talk to let's let's, <laughs> let's just let's face facts yeah. but um i i have to do not quite daily d- depending on what my tour schedule's like so- sometimes daily or multiple times a day i have to do interviews for local a lot of a lot of times they're not even interested in talking to me they're just like doing their job they got to crank out this thing totally they're not interested in like they need content like looked at my wikipedia page and then and then anything that i do say they want to like over dramatize and turn into some like hero story or story or something like that because otherwise i'm just like some boring white guy schlubbing a few jokes around the country and who cares and so they want to make it sound like some triumph over like stage fright or something like if you look at my wikipedia page it's ridiculous i didn't write it um and and but everything so so like journal trying to that's how like when people like read the newspaper and say i'm not against reading the newspaper but when they're like oh i get my information i read the newspaper like knowing how reporters (laughs) gather and then write information i'm like like, scary (laughs) that is ridiculous so um actually let's do a little uh aside and come back to because i do have a couple more self-control questions for you fascinating subject but since we brought it up uh you got in a little trouble (laughs) right for for uh for some research it was my understanding economic uh, emotion the way in which emotions can drive economic behavior basically right right was a finding that you our, had. our economic political views yeah uh, economic political views and that that got like and then then they put on some like uh um you know attention grabbing headline yep. and i'm sure like no one even read any of their research nope. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, yeah that's sure because it's obviously a fitting time to talk about that yeah so that's that's a paper of mine from from a couple years ago now looking at how anger influences our um political views specifically um our our economic political views and so the basic finding there is that making people angry makes people uh more competitive okay and if you think about competition regardless of what it is you're competing for ultimately it it pertains to some desirable resource okay so you're you're sort of fixated on winning you know winning whatever the the resource is and because of that um anger winds up making people more um economically conservative so basically out of Mm self-interest sort of focusing on minimal reallocation of resources, you know, um, lower tax rates, these sorts of um, uh, economic views. And um, again, the the reason we found that was because of this, this consequence of anger, just making people more competitive. Mm -hmm. That was the basic finding. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we we looked at all political views. So not just economic, but also uh, it's called sociocultural. So things like what's your view towards, you know, immigration policies right now, or, um, you know, your view towards the education system or, you know, any of these other social issues. It's like, nope, doesn't affect any of that. Hmm. You know, we only found an effect for anger on 
economic views. Hmm. And so um, when the paper was published, uh, the university PR team, you know, wanted to send out a press release about it. So they interviewed me. Um, I I felt like I did a, a, a decent job of articulating the I'm findings. I'm sure you did. And, um, you know, they, they tweeted on the university's main Twitter page, which they never do. They never tweet any of their faculty's research findings. Um, so it was very uncommon. And normally, like any tweet they do for this gets like maybe five comments or, you know, a handful of likes mm-hmm. or dislikes. This had like 150 comments and, you know, people just, you know, hating on it because they read the caption of the tweet. It was something like uh, anger makes people more economically conservative. And what happened? I think it it was just conservative. I don't even think the word economically was in there. Okay, I'd have to look at it again. But basically what happened is people almost made the reverse inference that the research said that conservatives are are angry people. And so <laughs> And why would anyone think something like that? It's almost like they've seen a Trump rally. Uh, I so I'm not gonna touch that, but like <laughs> but that's that's what people thought. And of course, like I'm willing to bet almost nobody read the article. You know, the 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 tweet contained a link to the article. Nobody, you know, I doubt anyone read it. Oh and, yeah, uh, it did say economic views. You're right. Yeah, I'm but you, you anger and to linked be, to conservative economic views. To be fair, you it could be fairly easy for the typical person to make that yeah. mistake inference without reading the article. But it's kind of like case in point for why people don't want to deal with this stuff because mm. you know we get all this. Uh, in some cases, like th- people can get. I've I've spoken with colleagues that have gotten like hate mail, dozens of of emails, you know, based on these findings that were reported and misrepresented by the popular press either by accident or you know or not but uh, so that was a fun few weeks where uh you know i was kind of just dealing with a bit of backlash there (laughs) that's fun yeah hey everybody it's elaine welteroth and i'm hosting a new podcast called built to last by american express where we will dive deep into the stories history and continued legacy of small businesses that shape american culture Our debut season will focus on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, we feature the story of a Black business trailblazer that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. First up is Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant, Saleti Vegan. We'll also chat with Hanifa Muemba, the cutting edge designer behind the Hanifa 3D digital fashion show. Plus, we'll check in with Issa Rae, our modern day Renaissance woman. We hope that it encourages all of our listeners to support these businesses as well as the Black-owned businesses in your own communities. Tune in for these amazing stories and others on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's JCPenney here, back with some great gift ideas for everyone on your list. And they're all available now at your local JCPenney or online. Need gifts for her? Check out our selection of diamond jewelry that's sure to put a sparkle in her eye. Or help her cozy up at home with pajama separates and super soft slippers. For him, try JCPenney's grooming products like shave sets and trimmers. Or compliment his style with smart flannels and jeans from brands like Arizona, Levi's, and more. 
Also, stop by Sephora inside JCPenney to find top fragrances for both him and her. For the kids, shop this year's must-have toys and games for all ages. Or bring smiles to all with matching sleepwear sets for the whole family. And for everyone else on your list, share some warmth with a heated blanket, an ultra-cozy scarf, or let them decide with a gift card. There are so many ways to share the joy this holiday season, and so many ways to shop JCPenney. Visit a store near you, pick up curbside, or go to jcp.com. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. So are there ways of... Huh. So so if you... The idea is, is if you primed people to be... Or what the opposite like more altruistic or something like that they would have more liberal economic views um actually that's exactly what we found so okay. it, it didn't wind up in the actual published paper um but we had another study where um in addition to to looking at anger we made people feel um gratitude and um when when we made people feel uh grateful and then gave them the same measures about their economic views, they end up uh, becoming more more liberal in their economic uh, political views. Hmm. So yeah, we did actually find that there was at least one emotion that could produce the opposite effect. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, so, so back to self-control. Um, we do like to jump around quite a bit on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. What does an actual study look like what what happens to a participant during a study sure so um we can go back to that to that pride paper where we would have them write about a time that they felt proud of something so Mm -hmm. it's like generally the way that consumer behavior studies work is you know at the university here we'll have a lab we'll bring in undergraduate students they'll sit in a comp- in front of a computer and they'll have this survey that they're doing for the study. Um, that's that's kind of how it's administered. And so for that study, as an example, maybe they start by, um, you know, writing about a time that they feel proud of something. And so by kind of elaborating on this um, memory related to Prime and going through that sort of mental simulation you're able to kind of relive the emotional experience and actually make people more proud in real time Mm. okay so that would be like an example of how to manipulate an emotion and you know usually we we would kind of have some sort of cover story in between that writing task and then whatever dependent variable we're looking at um so just before we move on from that, let's say for the writing task, we'd say something like we're interested in, you know, people's recollections of different emotionally powerful memories. Please write about a time that you feel proud. And then after a few minutes of doing that, you'll say like this, this study is concluded. Thank you for your time. Please move on to the next portion of today's session. So you kind of intentionally break up the sequence of events so that participants aren't able to kind of infer what the researchers are trying to examine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say that they move on from that writing task. In a self-control study, um, you would have some dependent variable that's related to a self-control dilemma. So as an example there, you might tell the participants, oh, you know, we're really uh, thankful for your 
your your time uh, in participating in the lab today uh, as a sign of of gratitude for your time. We'd like to give you a snack to take on the way out of the lab, and you know we would give them either let's say a, a bag of baby carrots or a bag of M and M's. And so what we would look at is what proportion of participants are taking the M&Ms over the baby carrots as a function of whether they were asked to write about pride or not. Mm. So that, that could be like one example of that. Hmm. Um, so, hmm. all right. Well, I have another big thing. That, all right. First off, before I get, because I'm not sure how long um, uh, the next thing that I want to talk about will take. So, but I have I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. This is a nice little. It'll be a nice way of segmenting uh, the podcast a little bit. Why, why don't we use this opportunity to plug the charity of the week? Sure. I hope you're not going to be mad at me for going a little against the grain with this. So it's not like a charity per se, but That's okay. so I've done like a little bit of research on this with, with a colleague and um, in, in looking at... What if I got really mad at you? Right <laughs> like I hope I do. We've I ended hope whatever this. comes yeah. out of your mouth just makes me fear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think you'll mind. It's But... um. So uh, there's this other project that's kind of this working paper, and we're looking at how emotions influence people's uh, giving. And um, in, in kind of working on that project, I've come to learn a little bit about just people's charitable giving in, in um, uh, nonprofits as a whole. And so basically, one of the biggest issues for all nonprofits, mm-hmm. it's not so much getting people to give initially. Um but it's more about kind of those follow-up contributions where it could be really challenging to retain charitable givers for any given organization. And there's been some some groups that have looked at this and, and tried to um, figure out why retention drops, why people don't continue to give. And one of the reasons why is because with a lot of nonprofits – they're not they're not necessarily so great at letting people know where their money went mm-hmm. or like what specifically their contribution went towards um and sort of how their resources are allocated more generally and so one um nonprofit that people could look up to sort of help them be more knowledgeable of to what extent a contribution is actually given to the cause rather than overhead, operational type expenses, advertising. You know, not all charities are created equal with with respect to that. So there's this organization, um, charitynavigator.org, uh, and people could look uh, up a given charity on on this website. And it's basically like, you know, with like the, have you ever heard of the Better Business Bureau? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's almost like the Better Business Bureau for charities, and it kind of just gives a third party overview of you know kind of to what extent are is this like a quote unquote good charity you know with with yeah, what they yeah. do with the contributions, and so just kind of whatever people want to to whatever cause people want to contribute to, um, you know, consider checking that out to see kind of what what charities are out there and. 
and, and, and kind of learn a little bit about them before giving. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm still fully controlling my rage <laughs> <laughs> right now. No, I think that, I think that's terrific. I think that's as, as good of a thing as people. I think a lot of people want to like, causes do, out there. Yeah. You know? I think a lot of people just don't know like where to get started or how to. And I think something like that just to like spark people's interest and get people, uh, you know, thinking about it is um i i don't know i sometimes i don't even know why i do this it's just like in my mind i'm like oh no i'd like to live in a better world i wonder if you could like just inspire people to just throw a few bucks into the right causes oh it's uh, awesome here and there might yeah. it's worth a shot i have no idea i i don't have any way of tracking how successful any of these <laughs> plugs that i do each week are or whatever but i like to imagine it's doing some sort of positive thing oh i'm sure it is yeah and 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 i don't get too prideful about it or i'll (laughs) take my foot off the gas um i what is oh that's a dog out there never mind there's just a dog sitting on top of a mountain it looked like a lion out of the corner of my eye for a second i was like and then i saw it move i thought it was a statue and i saw it moving i got really thrown there that and like the whole charity thing i'm still angry about i'm, I'm just <laughs> I, i'm just falling apart right now so i wanted to ask you about um i, I love talking about evolution on this show and you mm-hmm. you had a little uh a, a, a little bit of work one of the papers that you or one of the articles rather that you sent me was um was about some of our um uh scarcity and the way in which it influences um some of our especially diet decisions Can yes you talk a little bit about that yeah so that was actually um the first paper i i ever published and um it's like my first first project in grad school um and I can just give a little background on what started this. Okay, so we, when I was in grad school, um, I read this article about this study that was conducted where um, this was right around the time where mandatory calorie labels were being put in place for certain um, chain restaurants or chain fast food. You know, so like KFC or Applebee's passed a certain number of chains you're required to put the calorie labels on Mm -hmm. and so at the time this was for new york city specifically and there was this study that looked at people's food orders at a set of fast food locations like let's say it's a, a dozen or so in new york city both uh and and then just they basically took the receipt from the person with their permission and just analyzed the total number of calories that the person ordered. And they did this at two time points. The first time point was about six months prior to this mandatory calorie label law being put in place. And then they did a second collection with a similar number of people at the same locations um, six months after the calorie labels were in place. So, you know, time one, you're at McDonald's, you see the menu board there for like, you know, the Big Mac and fries and none of the calories are there. It's just the price. And then six months after the calories are now right next to the the price. Mm-hmm. Like you got the, yes. Yeah, so that was the, the difference. Um, 
you know, they were put in place to make people more conscientious of, of their food orders and, and ultimately how much they ate. Um, let's say that the average, I forget the numbers exactly, but let's just say for, for sake of the argument, uh, time one, the average number of calories ordered was 600 calories. What do you think was the average for that six months after? Well, I, I know what, like, uh, most people would intuitively guess and, but I also like know kind of, I already saw the article and everything. So it's not, I have a. I have an unfair peek into that, but it's is that is much more than that, right? Well, not not much more. It it, it was like if it was six hundred, it was actually like six fifty or okay. something. So it wasn't actually a st- statistically significant difference, but just the fact that this that had no effect whatsoever, um, which was like a as a side, like a really rare instance where you have a paper that publishes a null effect, you know, where like nothing happened. But for for this particular case, it was like really interesting, and and so well, that's not nothing, yeah, because yeah. a, a, a big change took place, and that that change didn't change something is a large effect in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Well, and so here's the thing, like, um, we looked at the study itself and where they collected data at these different fast food restaurants within New York City. And the interesting part about it was of, again, let's say it's like a dozen or so um, locations. They were all in these uh, lower SES neighborhoods, you know, where presumably people's resources are, are scarce. And so with that kind of observation in mind, we, we started to think about that, you know, like, well, is it something about these environments where, you know, what's perceived by most people as this lapse in self-control, could it be that, that it's almost by design, like there's this functional uh, aspect of it where people are responding to their environment by almost strategically selecting higher calorie foods and that that kind of getting more resources for less money exactly yep um so what we found in that paper is if you can um prime people with this perception of our environment being harsh it makes people feel like their resources are more scarce than rel- relative to an environment that wasn't perceived as harsh. And because of that, people almost shift into this mindset of acquiring resources or, mm-hmm. or getting the most bang for their buck, so to speak, so that when you give people a food decision, so again, let's go back to that example of um, M&Ms versus baby carrots. Um, and let's say that the bag of baby carrots is 35 calories. The M&Ms is like, what, 150 or so. If you think about food as a possible resource, that really refers to its energy potential or its calories. And so for people who feel like their resources are scarce, they might actually um, um, seek out higher calorie foods as a means of compensating for this resource deficit that they're mm-hmm. feeling at, at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. So we um, we had one study that kind of looked at 
again, as our, our DV was a little bit different this time, it was like a salad versus a sandwich where the, the sandwich in this case was, you know, um, uh, the, the more high calorie option and, um, ask people why they made that choice. And when people were in this sort of resource scarce mindset, they, they didn't choose the sandwich because it was more indulgent, you know, kind of getting at this idea of, was it a self-control lapse, you know? So it wasn't that it was more tasty or indulgent, but rather it, it had a greater potential for filling the person up. So again, going back to your idea, this more bang for your buck, that's kind of what we found as far as what was going on, why people were doing this. Hmm. Yeah, that is troubling <laughs> <laughs> on so many levels. I mean, we, we just really are not uh, well adapted for our modern world. We're very, uh, our, our, our minds way, are, are it is. quite behind in some cases. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I love hearing about the life history mm-hmm. stuff and the, and the different um, cues in which, you know, a individual human organism will, will be gleaning from the environment that cue them to, to say um, uh, enter puberty earlier in a in a riskier environment or eat more Big Macs or something like that, and it is like it, which from an any objective standard in the world that we're looking at right now with no his, uh, evolutionary history that you know uh, that not affecting anything that's happening now. Uh, I mean, it just. It's so irrational. It's so it's so defeating, um, you know. Of of so many, I, I mean, the it's the brain going like I should get a bunch of resources to get to get energy, but it's not because there's nothing in there to be like this is the wrong kind of energy. You actually don't need this. You have a refrigerator. Uh, you don't need to store away all of these calories, and it's yeah. just it's it's not. <laughs> It's it's like in some cases we're we're behind the the sort of present day environment and the dynamics yeah. that we that we live in where you know the thing that's even more wild kind of thinking about this life history um, stuff and just this idea of a harsh environment even though by a lot of objective markers we're living in like a pretty safest pretty, time in pre- human yeah, history yeah, right. potentially you would you is- would never subjectively know that just by what we're seeing on television and and the news where it feels uh, uh, social media headlines of the it's it's very easy for for people to kind of look past the objective data and just go on 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 sort of feelings and and yeah yeah Yeah. that's uh, it's it's funny because i was listening to uh um steven pinker's um, book Enlightenment and now on I, I work with a audiobook company Libro.fm that uh, that for the same price as all the other ones same catalog and you go through it's through your local bookstore so you're supporting them as well mm-hmm. offer code here we are to get three months for the price of one but um, <laughs> there we go anyway um, I I was I was I've been listening to, because it's talking much about if you look at any of the trends um, you know progress has been being made and there's always you know within graphs there's these peaks of like uh, yeah the crime goes up a little bit for a year or two here and there but it has been on a downward trend for 
a very, very long time. And, and, and again, you would just never think that you but. would never think that. And, and so, and it's, it's interesting to see even, um, you know, very kind of quote unquote progressive, um, people like they, they're like, people are upset that he's, that he's saying like, <laughs> Hey, maybe we should all settle down a little bit. And like, you know, if we, if we all realize that, we're actually making progress and see what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. We can have even more progress. And people are like, this isn't progress. The world's falling apart. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Well, cause in, in like some ways it's not really anything new with right. like when, uh, if it bleeds, it, 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 it if it bleeds, it, it feeds, right. What, what was that? It, uh, I'm trying to remember <laughs> that phrase. Oh God, that's going to kill me. Um, well, you can email it to me when you're on the way home. Like, oh, that's what it was. Um, you're yeah, never going to think of it. Me. Yeah. But like, that's always been the case where you kind of sensa- sensationalize the news. But um, but it's just Is that it, if it bleeds, it reads. No, that can't be it. No, I think it's. Like, <laughs> you want to find out? Google it. If it bleeds, it. If it bleeds, it leads. Thank you. Yeah. Oh so my that, God. My PR so, teacher is going to so kill that's, me. That's the, Two dopes on a podcast. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> if that's it bleeds, the, it leads. Yeah. Yeah. But like, so that's always been the case, yeah. but it's just that there's so many more outlets now yeah. that, you know, these kind of attention grabbing headlines, there's just more of them. And so it kind of, I feel like it has a, almost like an amplifying effect. I think it's really unfortunate that, you know, you can't expect everyone to listen to everything in a long form way. Like it's great that people dialed in to hear, uh, dialed in, they downloaded this podcast, (laughs) um, to hear, you know, an hour long conversation about this stuff, but no one has time to listen to an hour long conversation about every single topic that exists in the entire world. And we need to pick and choose and blah, blah. blah, And it's just impossible now. And, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's a tricky situation. We find it cause I, I mean, to me, the, um, kind of heartbreaking part of it is I think like a lot of people mean well and like, I'm going to turn on the news to get information to, because I care about the world and the environment and I want to stay informed and most people would be better off going for a jog or something like that and improving themselves rather than turning on whatever nightly news that they listen to on any network um and and so that uh that's unfortunate but I, maybe maybe people will become more and more mindful of that as they do with pride and uh, the various other things that we become more mindful of. I mean, really, I think that's that's a that's uh, you know a way to go for it is just to the extent that people are more aware of these things because a lot of times people aren't like people don't necessarily realize that every time they check the news they're getting infuriated and and you know by by being more aware of these kinds of influences through you know these these types of outlets it's possible that people can can kind of um change some of their behaviors so that that's minimized a little bit yeah i mean i think we're still a fairly young ish species generally and then going through these dramatic environmental changes and then uh, the kind of current news situation of 
you know, having blinking things on a screen and all of this at, at your fingertips all of the time. You know, it's a new world and maybe we'll just ease into it and people will start the, the things that will catch people's eye. They'll maybe become more sensitive to like the nuance of life eventually. And, you know, when you're younger, it's like you want people are attracted to more like simple pop music kind of stuff or like the action movie that's like bing bang boom explosions and you get older you learn a little more and you become kind of deadened to that simulation a little <laughs> bit and you and you want something a little more nuanced and, yeah. and thought out and, and may, maybe that's where people will go eventually that's the world i would certainly like to live in but who knows we'll see i'm not gonna go tricking myself into having a bunch of faith in humanity anytime soon but but um but but who knows any last words before we uh before we take off any anything you'd anything you'd like people to especially take away uh i have one thing to say which is like a thank you to you because when i told you <laughs> no, no no listen listen so when i told Come when i told my no no here so when i told my wife that people i was are gonna if this is someone's first time <laughs> listening to this podcast they're gonna think i'm like paying you to say this stuff no no, no. so so when i told my wife <laughs> that i was gonna be on this show you know what she said she what was that? like she was like oh my gosh I'm I'm so glad that you're going to be on this show because now when my friends ask me what you do, I could just send them this podcast. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah. I, I'm glad you didn't tell me that ahead of time or that would have been a lot of pressure on me. So, uh, well, I thought this went well. I thought uh, I thought this this is a perfect representation for your wife's friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I appreciate you being on. So Thanks thank for you very having much, me, This is awesome. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. And we'll talk with you more next week. Scarpins Avenue, a podcast network.